As I said this morning, so I want to encourage you again. You may hear some things during this little three-sermon mini-series that challenge you, perhaps things that you hadn't quite thought of in that way before. I want to encourage all of you not to take my word for anything. That's why I put the PowerPoint up here with all of the references. We're not going to turn to every reference, but I want you to have a list of references when I say something to go home and check out for yourself. Please do that. Don't take my word. Take God's word. Let's look at the scriptures together. Make a list. I know that several of you are, are taking notes, and that is a good thing. Um, as I said, when I was first posed this question a few weeks ago, I thought I had all the answers. But I thought, well, I need to dig into this. I need to re-examine just to make sure. And so I did and found that there's a few things that maybe I needed to reconsider. Not, not on the major, the major stuff, but certainly some things that I needed to think a little bit more about and, and have done so. And so we will share those. We started a sermon miniseries this morning. And the point was to answer the question. There were two questions that were posed. Number one... What is the difference between John's baptism and New Testament Christian baptism, or the baptism of the Great Commission, or however you want to put it? And the other question, which we'll get to next Sunday morning, did those who were baptized under John the Baptist's baptism have to be rebaptized on the day of Pentecost? We'll get to that next week. We explored from the scriptures the similarities or the elements this morning that John's baptism and New Testament Christian baptism have in common. We went through a bunch of slides and we found out both were burial or immersion in water. We looked up the references. Both required belief in the gospel message preached and we looked up references. Both required confession. Uh, John's baptism required a confession of sins. Uh, Christian baptism required a confession of the Christ, but both still required confession. Both required repentance. Both were for the forgiveness of sins. John's baptism looked forward to the forgiveness of sins. The one who would come after him, we learned about from Acts chapter 19, I believe in verse 4. While those from the day of Pentecost forward looked back to what Jesus had done in the forgiveness of sins. Both baptisms, both John's and New Testament Christian baptism were from heaven. Therefore, to reject either in their time was to reject God's will for the soul who did so. And we looked at some references there as well. Now, we also said that there were some differences. John's baptism was for the Jews, Acts 13, 24. John's baptism called for them to believe in the one to come after him, Acts 19 and 4. The difference is, Christian baptism is for the whole world, not just the Jews. We had a series of references there that we talked about. Again, the slide from this morning. Christian baptism calls us to accept the forgiveness offered in Christ's sacrifice who already died for us. As I said, we, didn't, we don't look forward to another one coming. That was John the Baptist. We look back to the one who did come and die for us. That's Christian baptism. Christian baptism, another difference from John's is that it is in Christ's name. We looked at the scripture and it adds us to the Lord's church. And I said that there was one huge difference that I was going to save for tonight. And that is the one that we are going to discuss now. And again, I encourage you. I encourage you. Look it up in God's word. That large difference that we are going to talk about tonight is that when one is baptized in Christian baptism, when one is baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, 
The Scripture says that they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're all very familiar with Acts 2 and verse 38. Then Peter said to them, Repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is a huge difference because this was not in John's baptism. We don't, we don't see that at all in the baptism of John the Baptist. And so when I was asked this question, this is a topic that we have to discuss. I'll be very frank and right up front. There's been a lot of confusion and a lot of contention over the years, from what I've read, in the Lord's Church about the phrase, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Been a lot of confusion over that. It is one of the biggest differences between the baptism of John and New Testament Christian baptism. And I don't believe, and I say this with all the love in my heart, I don't believe that it's all that difficult to understand if we'll truly look at it and do like we tell our denominational friends and neighbors to do. Get rid of all the man-made teachings on the subject and just simply look at what God himself said about this. Just the Bible. Believe the Bible will take care of itself. We must allow God to have the last word. Throw out the men's teachings. Throw out mine. Don't take anything I tell you unless I can give you book, chapter, and verse. You can go home and look it up. That's all I ask. So let's look at that phrase tonight, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of good brothers in history of the church who've had kind of differing views in some cases on that, and I just want to take it simple and straightforward and down through. Let me ask you a question. If God had meant when he said, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, if God, what he actually meant was, and you shall receive the gift of eternal life, what do you think he would have said? Because some people say, well, that gift of the Holy Spirit, that just means the gift of eternal life. If Jesus had truly meant, repent and be baptized, gave these words to Peter, and you will receive the gift of eternal life, what do you think Acts 2.38 would say? Would it not say, then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of eternal life. If God meant the gift of eternal life in that passage, wouldn't he probably have used the words, the gift of eternal life? Does that make sense to everybody? When he said be baptized, what did he mean? He meant be baptized. When he said repent, what did he mean? He meant repent. God's smart enough to use the language that he means. Is that not correct? So when he says you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, if what he's talking about is receiving the gift of eternal life, that's what he would have said, but that's not what he said. Okay? Some think receiving this gift of the Holy Spirit is receiving God's word within themselves. Well, if God had meant, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the word of God, what do you think he would have said? Would he have not said that? If that's what God meant, isn't that what God would have said? And you shall receive the gift of the word of God. 
if that's what the gift of the Spirit truly is. But you see, what I want us to understand, and if you get your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2. I'm not going to read verses 37 through 41. We're so familiar with them. But I want you to look at that passage in your own Bible. God could not have meant... Speaking through Peter, because every word of the scripture is divinely inspired, it's God-breathed. God could not have meant that the gift of the Holy Spirit was the gift of the Word within them, that the Holy Spirit was the Word. He couldn't have meant that. With all due respect to all of those who might have thought otherwise, here's why. Here's why. Because then what he would have been saying was this. Repent. And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the word which you've already received. Here's why. If you look in your Bible, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 37, they were cut to the heart. They had already received the word. Peter had preached a full gospel sermon to them. They believed it. They had already received the word. They had already believed the word. And they said, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other brothers, What are we going to do? They already believed the word. And Peter said, Let each of you repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That can't be the Word of God. They already had received the Word of God. And if you look up in verses 40 and 41, it will tell you that those who had received His Word, those who had already believed the Word, those who had already taken the Word into their hearts then were baptized and when they were baptized guess what he had told them they'd receive the gift of the Holy Spirit he couldn't be telling them they'd receive the word they'd already received the word he's told us that twice so it can't be the word it's not possible God actually said exactly what he meant and he meant exactly what he said God knew the right words. And so he told them that if they would repent and be baptized in Christian baptism, they'd receive not the word of God, they already had that. Not the gift of eternal life, that's not the term he used, but the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you look this up and you do some research, you will find that there are some very good Greek scholars who will tell you that do, and I'm not a Greek scholar, don't pretend to be, that's way above my pay grade, okay? But as you dig in and you study this, you will find that there are Greek commentators and scholars who will tell Greek scholars and commentators who will tell you that the sentence structure of that sentence demands that the gift given is the thing mentioned. Don't forget to write that down. That sentence structure means that the gift that is meant here is the thing that is given. The thing that is given is the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's therefore what they would receive. Let me put it this way. Let's say that you go to some event. I mean, I've never been to the IEC thing down here, but let's say that you go to some event and you get a ticket. And your tickets are all numbered. And it's for door prizes. You call them that down here, right? Door prizes? Okay, just checking. Language barrier. Um, and in the middle of this event, what they say is this. They say, okay, everybody who has a ticket, we're not gambling, you didn't pay for the tickets, they're free. Everybody who has a ticket and it ends in the number four, or pick your number, it doesn't matter, number four, please come to the front and you will receive the gift of a $50 gift card. Is that hard to understand? 
No. Now, did that mean that when they went up front and they presented their ticket, because they believed their ticket, and they believed the person who told them if there was a four on the ticket, that they would get this $50 gift card. If they took this ticket up there, which they believed, and they turned it in, that they'd get another ticket that said the same thing? That doesn't make any sense, does it? It doesn't make any sense to these people who had already received the word, they had already believed the word, for that God to say, and I will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit if you'll obey the word, to go up there and get the gift of more of the word. They already had the word, they already understood it, it's the same thing. The gift was something different. This gift was the Holy Spirit. This receiving of the gift of the Holy Spirit was something entirely new and totally exclusive to New Testament Christian baptism. It's one of the biggest differences between the two. This gift of the Holy Spirit is not even hinted at in the baptism that John was giving to the everyday people during the earthly lifetime of Jesus. And the scriptures tell us exactly why when Jesus walked the earth, the Spirit was not given when John was baptizing. The scriptures are very clear as to why. Whoa! Boy, that was quick. Open your Bible here and you will find out why. John 7. Please turn there. This is why when John was baptizing, people did not receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But after Jesus' resurrection, in New Testament Christian baptism, over in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit was given. The Bible is very clear as to why. Here's why. In a nutshell, because as long as Jesus was here in the flesh, as long as His Spirit was clothed in flesh, before He went to the cross... That spirit was in him and he was not going to give it to others until after he had shed his flesh and gone back to heaven. It's, that's pretty much what it boils down to. Look what the scriptures, they explain the same thing. John 7 beginning at verse 37. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Watch verse 39. This he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. For as long as Jesus walked this earth in the flesh, and had his Spirit within him, this Spirit was not promised to be given to other people. It would be only after he shed the flesh, went back to heaven. Verse 39 again. Those believing in him would receive the Spirit. The Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. It was not going to happen during the lifetime of John. It was not going to happen until after Jesus was resurrected and went back to heaven. Look with me in your Bibles at the next one. John explains it again. In John chapter 14, the words of Jesus... Jesus speaking to them the night before he was crucified. says this in John 14. Talking to those who would be sincerely obedient to him. Like those who are sincerely obedient to him in Christian baptism, for example. He says in John 14 and verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. 
And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you. Present tense, Jesus said, I'm living with you now, and will be in you. That could not be clearer. Jesus says, I'm dwelling with you now. Present tense. But my spirit, I, in spiritual form, will come back later and dwell and will be in you. It couldn't be clearer in verse 17. He says, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Now, I realize he's talking to the apostles here. And some say, well, that's Holy Spirit baptism. Well, keep reading. By Holy Spirit baptism, I mean miraculous gifts and all of that, because he was only talking to the apostles. But read on. He says, a little while longer, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, because I live, you will live also. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. There can be no mistake that Jesus was going to come and live in the heart of his faithful disciples. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Judas wants to say, okay, how's this going to work that you're going to come back and live in us but not the world? Okay? Look at Jesus' answer real close. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone... Stop. He's not just talking about the apostles now. He's been talking to the apostles, and he could very well have meant Holy Spirit baptism. But right now, Jesus switches gears to include everybody. When he says anyone, who does that include? Everybody, right? If anyone, I don't care who they are, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and... My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Jesus promised that if we love him, we keep his commandments, we do what he said, i.e. if we're baptized and our sins are forgiven so that our sins are cleansed, he and the Father would come and live in us spiritually, that spirit of truth that he was talking about. And they will make, and we will make our home with him. When I say to you, nine years ago, however long, eight or nine years ago, when I come down here, when you say, yeah, we'd like to hire you as our preacher, say, okay, I'm going to come and live in Oklahoma. Did that mean I was going to send you a letter or that I was personally coming? Okay. He says, my father and I will come to that person and make our home. He didn't say we'll send you a letter. We'll give you more of the word. That's not what he said. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the words which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. We can see the same thing in John 17, 23 and 6. If you're taking notes, you can take that. But I want to turn right now to John 15, 4 and 5. One more time from the book of John. That Jesus says, I'm going to come and live in you. Now, I'm just going to send you words. I'm going to live in you. John 15, verse 4. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. Not my word, I. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him 
bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Could Jesus, if Jesus had wanted to say, I'm going to come and live in the hearts of my faithful people, could he have said it any clearer than those verses? Could he have? I don't know how he could have. He's told you, I'm going to live in you. I'm coming back. I'm going to leave you alone, but I'm coming back in spiritual form. I'm going to live with you if you keep my word and obey my commandments. What is the Holy Spirit's job today? Simply this. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. To work with our spirit through what the word says, yes. The Holy Spirit within us never does anything different than what the written down word says. There is complete, absolute unity, 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 unison, I can say that, unity and unison. There is a complete and perfect fit between what the Holy Spirit wrote down in the book and what the Holy Spirit within us, Jesus, it's perfect. Jesus in us never asks us to do anything that is not right here in the Bible. And there's nothing that is right here in the Bible that contradicts what God's Spirit within us wants us to do. When we hook them together, like plugging in an appliance to an electrical current, they work together. Now, some confusion today stems from the fact that there are two different manifestations of the Holy Spirit that were given in the first century. Two different manifestations. There was the miraculous gift of the Holy Spirit, which we don't get. And there was the non-miraculous gift of the Holy Spirit. There was the miraculous gift, which only a very select few got. And then there is the non-miraculous gift of the Holy Spirit that everybody who is baptized gets, who's already received the word. To begin with, Acts 2.38, gift of the Holy Spirit, is not the miraculous manifestation like the apostles received in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Listen, maybe this is where the confusion comes in. On the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, it was only the... And I don't have 12 fingers or I'd hold them up. Yeah, here's two toes, right? There was 12 apostles... In Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, it was only and exclusively the 12 apostles who received the miraculous manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Here's how you can tell. It's real easy. You can just read it. But later on, if you look in your own Bibles, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 43, check it out. In Acts 2 and verse 43, you've got to remember that there was 3,000 people that were baptized... Verses 40 and 41. If those 3,000 who did receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, just not so that they could do miracles. But if they had received the miraculous gift, just simply by being baptized, then verse 43 would not say what it says. Verse 43 tells us that miracles were taking place through the apostles' hands, right? Is that what it says in your Bible? And if all 3,000 had gotten the miraculous manifestation of the Holy Spirit, then everybody had been doing miracles and had been baptized. But it's only the apostles. So you see here, there's two different levels or two different manifestations of the Spirit given. The miraculous gift of the Holy, of the Holy Spirit was only given twice in the entire recorded history of the New Testament from Acts 2 forward. The miraculous gift of the Holy Spirit was only given twice from on high. Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 4 with the apostles. 
in Acts chapter 10 and verse 44 with Cornelius, in which case it was simply given to prove that the Gentiles were on equal footing with the Jews. Read Acts 10 and 11. It gets real clear. The only other way that the miraculous gift was transferred was through the laying on of the apostles' hands. They could lay their hands on somebody, but that person could not transfer it further. The miraculous gift of the Holy Spirit in the Scriptures, you, you've got to get this. If you want to know if God's talking the miraculous gift or the Christian character, Galatians 5, fruit of the Spirit gift, that helps our spirit to do the right thing, if you want to know the difference... It's real easy. God couldn't have flashed a neon sign and made it any clearer. The miracle empowering gift was always indicated by the presence of words of an overwhelming nature. Here they are. They didn't simply receive the Holy Spirit. It sat upon them. Acts 2 and verse 3. Fallen upon them. Acts 8 and verse 16. Fell upon them. Was poured out on them. Acts 10, 44 and 5. Came upon them. Acts 19, 6. When you see these overwhelming words, rather than just received a gift of the Holy Spirit, it fell on them. That big heavy duty word indicates the miraculous manifestation. This as opposed to the non-miraculous, Christ-like character and fruit-producing gift of the Holy Spirit of Acts 2.38 that all sinners who are washed of their sins receive. Now, I can show you two places in the Scriptures where it's easy to see the difference because people have received the gift of the Holy Spirit like you and me by being baptized. And then right on the heels of that, you see the miraculous gifts given to them or transferred as well. And you can see the difference. You can see the difference because you can see the presence of these words as opposed to those who simply received it as we did. Let me take you to those two and you'll see it. The first one is Acts chapter 8. Please turn there. Acts chapter 8. And try and clear up the confusion between the miraculous and the non-miraculous because that seems to be a sticking point here. Acts chapter 8, verse 5. It says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. We know that Philip could do miracles because he was one of the seven chosen back in Acts chapter 6, the very beginning, that the apostles laid their hands on and transferred the gift to him. We, we see that there. So Philip could do these miracles. So the Samaritans are watching him. Verse 7, For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed, and lame were healed. There was great joy in that city, but there was a certain man called Simon, who previously practiced sorcery in the city, astonished the people of Samaria, claiming he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. Now watch this. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Now, when these people were baptized, according to Acts 2, it's the same message, it's the same everything. When these people were baptized, obviously they were baptized for the forgiveness of their sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Not miraculous. But to receive the gift, the character-forming Holy Spirit, Christ in spiritual form to live in them, only not in miraculous form. 
keep reading, we'll see this. Verse 13, Then Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Watch this. For as yet he had not fallen upon any of them, or for as yet he had fallen upon none of them, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do you see the difference? The Spirit had not fallen upon them. He had not come down in this miraculous, overpowering bang so that they could do miracles and speak in tongues. He hadn't done it. They had simply been baptized like you and me. In the name of the Lord Jesus, Acts chapter 2. And so they had received the gift of the Holy Spirit, but he had not, boom, fallen on them. Not miraculous. So, then the apostles that had come down, verse 17, laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. You say, wait a minute, that says received. Yeah, but he's already qualified it as falling upon in verse 16. You see the two, you see the two gifts given there? You see how that works? Let me take you to the other one. Acts chapter 19 as we began this morning with our scripture reading. Acts 19, turn over there please. We'll see again. These two. It happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Think about it. Same pattern as Acts 2. When those people in Acts 2 believed the word, they believed the message, they were cut to the heart, they received the word, what did they do? Acts 2. They were baptized and they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Didn't fall on them in miraculous form. They simply received it. This is the same thing. Paul says, look, basically, if I can paraphrase, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Did you undergo Acts 2 baptism? When you believe the message, and you, you have to understand here that when they believed it, they were baptized. And he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when that happened? And they said, we've not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. We don't know anything about this. He says, well, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. Again, John's baptism had nothing to do with the Holy Spirit coming upon them. This is all new to, to Christian baptism. It's a, big, it's a big difference. So Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Stop right there. When these people were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, the way the 3,000 were on the day of Pentecost, did they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? Yes, we have to assume they did. It doesn't say they did, but that's what baptism did, Acts 2. They were baptized, they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then, Paul laid hands upon them, and guess what the Holy Spirit did then? Boom! came upon them, overwhelmed them. Then they received the miraculous gift because Paul laid his hands on them. Do you see the two reflected in this passage? Do you see that? It's not real hard to understand if you really take a look at it. Now, maybe that's where the confusion lies. That's why I'm giving you the references. But folks, just like some of our denominational friends do with the essentiality of baptism, and just like the denominationalists around us do with the scriptural fact that there is one church, just like that, 
Many people have tried over the years to come up with every possible, conceivable, incredible excuse to get around the plain, clear, simple teaching, scriptural teaching, that Christ, in the form of the Holy Spirit, comes to live in the heart of those who repent and are baptized specifically for the forgiveness of their sins, as we see in Acts 2.38 and so many other places, places like this one. Peter later on in Acts chapter 5, verses 30 and 32, it says there, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance in it to Israel and forgiveness of sins. By the way, when God said repentance, what do you mean? Repentance, right? When he said forgiveness of sins, what do you mean? He meant forgiveness of sins. And we are, these wit and we are his witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. If God wanted to tell us that the Holy Spirit he would give to those who obey him, how would he put it? Exactly like he put it. And notice he didn't say, and so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to just us apostles. This was for everybody. Everybody gets the Holy Spirit who obeys God in baptism. Now, one of the more prominent thoughts, one of the more scripturally erroneous thought processes that some today will seek to use to deny this gift of God or Jesus Christ in spiritual form, the Holy Spirit coming to live in their hearts. One of, the, one of the big things that people say today trying to get around that teaching is this. And I say this with all the love in my heart, and I'm telling you to look in the Bible. But one of the biggest excuses people will still use to try to get around the fact that Jesus comes to live in us in spiritual form is this one. Here they go. If Jesus Christ... The Son of God, the Holy Spirit, if it's true that He comes to live in me, then I couldn't sin. Want you to hear me again? If Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, comes to live in me, that would mean I couldn't sin. So it can't be true. What's not true is that statement. Listen to God. Both the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles had the Holy Spirit within them. Is that true? The Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles, did they have the Holy Spirit? Yes or no? Scripture says, yes. 1 Peter 1, 10-12. 2 Peter 1, verses 20-21. Both the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles had the Holy Spirit. Could the apostles still sin? Yes. Yes. We know that. Number two. In Numbers chapter 11, verses 24 through 30, in Isaiah 63, 8 through 12, the, God could not be clearer. Moses had the Spirit of God upon him. Moses had the Holy Spirit living in him. Moses had the Spirit. Let me ask you a question. Could Moses still sin? Remember that whole hitting the rock thing that caused him not to be able to live the Holy Land? Remember that? Moses could still sin, but the Bible is undeniable that he had the Holy Spirit in him, but he could still sin. So this argument that, well, I couldn't sin if the Holy Spirit was in me, it, that doesn't hold any water, pun intended, when it comes to Moses. David also had the Holy Spirit within him. Go home and look these up. Write them down. 1 Samuel 16 and verse 13. 2 Samuel 23, 1 and 2. 
Mark chapter 12 and verse 36. Acts chapter 1 and verse 16. David had the Holy Spirit. He was anointed. The Spirit was with him all through this. Let me ask you a question. Could David sin? Remember the whole Bathsheba thing? But he had the Holy Spirit in him. Scripture says so. To say he didn't have the Spirit in him is to call all those verses a lie. I won't do that. And yet he could still sin. Finally, did the Apostle Paul have the Holy Spirit? I didn't put down the references because I didn't want to make the, the print so small that you couldn't see it. Put down all the references to show that the Apostle Paul had the Holy Spirit. He received it when he was baptized, Acts 22, verse 16. And throughout the book of Acts and the epistles, we see him doing miracles. The Apostle Paul had the Holy Spirit both miraculous as well as non-miraculous. And you know what? He still struggled with sin. He still said, I, I do the things that I don't want to do, the things I want to do, I can't seem to do. O wretched man that I am, who will save me from the body of this sin? Romans chapter 7. In fact, I want you to turn over there because I want to make a point. Romans chapter 7. Please turn there. This will be our final scripture that I will ask you to turn to tonight. Romans chapter 7. Paul begins, and I'm not going to read the whole thing because of time, but if you start right in verse 1 and you read down through Romans 7, Paul, even though he had the Holy Spirit, there's nobody that can deny that he had it. He received it, and he had a miraculous gift. Yet Romans 7, he still struggled with sin so much, and he did the things he didn't want to do when he sinned, even though the Spirit was in him. So he gets down to about verse 24 as he concludes this struggle that he undergoes. And he says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind I serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Verse 1 of chapter 8 and following, he said, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You see, what I want you to understand as we read the rest of this passage is this. Having the Spirit of Christ within you that you receive at baptism when you're cleansed so God can live there does not mean that you can never sin again. What it means is this. It means from that day forward, Christ's Spirit within you as you read and study the Bible and what the Spirit wants you to do is going to be in a competition with your spirit that wants to sin. It doesn't mean that you can't sin. It means that Christ's Spirit is there to help you to do the right thing, but you've got to allow Christ's Spirit to have dominance. That's why he says in Romans 6, sin will not reign over you. Are you still going to sin occasionally? Because those two spirits are competing. He, he makes that case as clear as he can right here in Romans 8. Let me continue reading. Watch this. Verse 5. For those of Romans 8, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. He said, Christ's spirit is in you. The flesh is in you, your spirit. And you're continually going to be fighting for control. Verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Watch this. But you are not in the flesh. God doesn't look at you like you're in the flesh, like you're just paying attention to what you want to do. Indeed, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. 
if he had meant the word, he would have said, if indeed the word of God, that's not what he said. He said, the spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. First thing, I don't have the spirit of Christ living in me. Then you don't belong to Jesus. Is that what he said? That's what he said. Who belongs to Jesus? Well, those who repent and are baptized. Well, when they're baptized, what happens? Well, they receive the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit comes to live in those who are baptized, have their sins forgiven, and who have repented. Do people that obey Acts 2.38 belong to God? Do they? Yes, and they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul's telling you the same thing. If you don't have that Spirit, if you don't have Christ's Spirit living in you, even though it's fighting with your spirit for control and you're still going to sin occasionally, if you don't have the spirit, you don't belong to Christ. If Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he couldn't have made that any clearer. We want to get all worked up over this indwelling thing. And, and the denominations have taken this indwelling thing and they have just made it this twisted, perverted, unscriptural thing. But look at what the Bible actually says. If the Spirit of Him, verse 11, Romans 8, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Is Christ's Spirit dwelling in us? How could He make it any clearer? Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Remember, he's talking to people that are already Christians. Don't, don't forget, he's talking to people, he's reminded them back in Romans 6, Hey, when you were baptized, you rose to walk in newness of life. These are people who are already Christians. What's he telling them? Chapter 7, there's a struggle that's going to go on even though you're a Christian. Which spirit you're going to follow? In chapter 8, what does he tell them? He says, you've got to win this battle. You've got to let Jesus' spirit triumph over your spirit. You're going to fall occasionally, but you've got, you got to let his spirit reign. Folks, these, two, these passages are the same. Galatians 5, 16 through 25. I'm not turning there. I've gone longer than I intended to. Galatians 5, 16 through 25 talks about the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit, right? We know the passage. What's he telling you? He's telling you, you're going to want to do these things. Galatians 5, 16 through 21. You're going to want to obey the flesh. Adultery, all this stuff. Thievery, all this stuff. But he says, but you can't live like that. You've got to walk by the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And he goes on and lists these things. And then in verse 25, he says, you've got to walk by the Spirit. What's he saying? You can't sin. No. He's saying your spirit and the spirit of Christ in you are going to fight for control. You've got to let Christ's spirit win. Same thing he says in Ephesians 4, 17 through 5, 21. You can go home and look it up. The way that we avoid sin, the way that we don't let it rain over us, is right here. We plug into the power source. God's spirit within us is not going to tell us to do anything different or anything like that until we plug into God's word. That's why Bible study is so important. It helps us, it helps us let Christ's spirit within us dominate that human fleshly spirit. Occasionally we fail. There are a lot of passages in the New Testament in addition to Romans 8 that prove, prove, there's no doubt about it. All you got to do is read them. 
that Jesus Christ in the form of the Holy Spirit comes to live in the heart of all of those who repent and obey him in the gospel by being baptized for the forgiveness of their sins and they receive the Holy Spirit to live within them. Matter of fact, i got a whole list of them here, but you don't need to listen to my list. Right out here on the table, there's 15 copies of a study, and if I have to make 100 more, that would be delightful. But it goes through every verse that I can find in the New Testament that proves that Jesus comes in spiritual form to live in our hearts when we're baptized. Take it home. Any of you want it on a Word document? Let me know. It's simple question and answer. I'm not asking you to believe me. Go to God's Word. What does this verse say? All I'm asking you to do. Now, it's large print. It's eight pages. I made it as easy as I could, but I can't pick it up for you. Now we have explored both the similarities as well as the differences between John's baptism and New Testament Christian baptism. Next Sunday morning, we are going to conclude by answering our second question. Did those disciples who were baptized under John's baptism need to be baptized again with New Testament baptism? The answer may surprise you a little bit in some corners, but overall I don't think it's going to. But for tonight, were you scripturally baptized, as we asked this morning? The way it says in Acts 2 and verse 38. Jesus paid it all, but he didn't do it all. He can't accept forgiveness for you. He provided it. You must be buried with Christ in baptism because, again, the facts of death, there's going to come a day, if the Lord doesn't come for us, that we're all going to die. And when that day comes, we need to be children of the living God. And if you read all of Romans 8 from verse 1 all the way down to 17, it's going to tell you that this, if not only that if we don't have the Spirit, we don't belong to Him, but it's His Spirit that, that bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we don't have Christ's Spirit living within us, we're not children of God. That's what the Scripture says. That's what the Holy Spirit had written down. I beg you tonight, number one, if you've heard something that just floors you, or you say, I can't believe that, before you come to me, please go home, look it up. Look at the Word. I've done my homework, doesn't mean I'm right. I just beg you to do yours before we discuss this. Secondly, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, you've never obeyed the gospel, been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and received the gift of the Holy Spirit, be added to the church by God's grace, He's calling you to do that. If you've done that, you need to continue faithful, including studying to show yourself approved as a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. If there's any help that you need tonight with anything, please come to the front while we stand and while we sing.